Hey, Scarecasters. Hope you all are doing well. We are now on episode 3 of season 7, and this episode will be packed full of bedtime stories. Short tales to give you the creeps. Just an update. It has been really tough to get episodes out. Especially since I started working full-time just a few months ago. So I apologize for the lack of content that's been out. I've also been contemplating on bringing on additional talent to help me carry the podcast, but I'm not really sure if this is something you all would want, so if you can give me feedback via Instagram at thescarecast, that would be greatly appreciated. You can also reach out to me via Snapchat at thescarecast, or email me at mike at thescarecast.com. I've also decided to discontinue my Patreon page due to the lack of content and I've decided to just sell digital downloads for all of my content going forward, which I will be rolling out soon via thescarecast.com. Also, if you enjoy the podcast, please share it to your friends or give it a rating and review on your podcast player so that you can let others know how much you enjoy listening. Well, that's enough for me. I hope you all enjoy these spooky tales. Princess Tea Party, written by Bragalug. Why aren't you drinking your tea, Daddy? Princess asked in a pouty manner, her red cheeks sticky with the icing of a just-eaten cinnamon roll. Her tangled, curly mop of brown hair spilling out of a silver, plastic gem-steady crown. You have to drink your tea, Daddy. See? Teddy likes it. Princess held up her teacup to Teddy's face and tilted it slightly so that the liquid dribbled down Teddy's chin and onto his faded and stained t-shirt, which read, Hugs are the best. Teddy's not looking so good, Robert thought. Truthfully, all of the tea party guesses had seen better days. Ken was filthy and naked. Clowney's makeup needed a touch-up. Anne's red hair had been completely removed, but at least her smile remained, even if it was a drawn-on artificial one. Which Robert actually replied, the steadiest voice he could manage, was, Yes, princess. He breathed deeply, then hesitated, peering down into the dirty, cracked teacup Princess had handed him just moments before. It was full of a clear liquid. What is it this time? He mused. Toilet water? Fabric softener? Bleach? A low moan emanated from Ken 
slumped across from Robert, his face buried in the blanket that Princess was using for what she called a tablecloth. Princess turned her head in his direction and frowned. Not good manners, Ken, she barked. You should know better how to behave at a princess tea party. Her poorly applied lipstick with a greasy blood red smear around her lips. Keep it up and you'll get it. Robert knew he should have taken his buddy Allen's advice and went to the movies that night over a week ago. But he had been so lonely. At the bar, the woman had asked, Can I call you daddy? You remind me of mine, but in a good way. It was weird. But Robert had played along, had gotten a little too drunk, and then accepted her invitation home. And now, a week later, here he was, teacup in hand, the heavy chains burnt fire around his wrist, and his back, no, his bones in general, ate from endless hours of sitting cross-legged on the hard floor. The odor of Teddy, Clowney, and Anne's decomposing bodies filled Robert's nose, but he had long emptied his stomach of its contents. If he could just get to his phone, her phone, any phone, but that was for another time. Right now, he had to play Russian roulette with whatever princess put in his cup. Please be water, please be water, Robert silently begged as he put the cup shakily to his pursed lips. But his mouth refused to open to the foul-smelling liquid. Drink, Daddy, Princess demanded, now rising to her feet her coiled, red-leathered whip at hand. Mercifully, the cup fell from Robert's unsteady fingers, spilling its mysterious contents on his lap. Even as she flew at him, teeth bared and screaming like a hurricane, the tiny flame that was Robert's hope flickered and sputtered, but stayed alive. I Lost My Phone Written by Eat Two Gallons of Lard I was sitting on a crowded train when I felt the stare of a person across from me. Feeling uncomfortable, I slipped my hand into my pocket to retrieve my phone. Feeling nothing but fabric, I began to slightly panic. I leaned forward to check my back pockets. Nothing. My purse. Nothing. I must have dropped it somewhere. Feeling optimistic that it was on the floor of the train, I looked up to ask someone to borrow their phone. The stranger across from me was gone. I turned to the man next to me and asked if I could borrow his phone felt grateful as he agreed and hurriedly dialed my number. Thankfully, 
I heard it ringing nearby. With the man's phone still to my ear, I looked around on the floor. I couldn't tell which direction the ringing was coming from, but I knew it must be nearby. But then, something strange happened. Someone answered. Hello? I said. There was a pause. Hello? I repeated. I need you to listen to me. What I'm going to say will be hard for you to hear. I was dumbstruck. I easily recognized the voice. It was my voice. You're shocked. I understand the feeling, but you must do everything I'm about to say. I laughed. (laughs) This is a very good prank, and I'm God, so whoever's doing this... We're going to die. I stopped laughing. Okay, I'll bite. What do you want me to do? Get off at the next stop and run as fast as you can. Where? Somewhere only we know about. A place you've never shown anyone. Oh, I said. Like... Don't! Don't say it! Just go! The call ends. Still in a haze, I hand the phone back to its owner and sit down. And as I do, I feel the train stop. I do as I said and I got off. As soon as my feet touch the pavement, I sprint to the place only I know of. There's an old sequoia tree that grows by a river. It's a mile run from the edge of the city. Luckily, that's exactly where the train stopped. I'm halfway there and my legs are on fire. And at this point, I want to stop. This was ridiculous. But ultimately, I decided to trust myself. As I finally arrive, I slump to my knees by the riverside and scoop handfuls of water into my mouth. Still on the ground, I hear a man laughing behind me. I turn to see him standing within point-blank range holding a handgun, and I freeze, and the man laughs harder. (laughs) This always gets me. He pretends to wipe a tear from the corner of his eye. You sure are a creature of habit, aren't you? I shuffled backward and land partially in the water. And he sobers a bit. Do you know that you pick the same place every time? I I mean, it, it makes my job easier, but really? Some variated thinking might just save your life next time. He pauses. Oh well... Till then, he pulls the trigger. I don't feel pain, only pressure, and the feel of the cold wind going through me. And all at once, it's black. I gasp awake. I'm on the train and I think I may have been dreaming. Straightening in my seat, I try to recall my dream in its entirety. But it's all too fuzzy and I give up. I look up to see a man across from me, just staring. 
feeling uncomfortable, I reach into my pocket and pull out my phone. But as I do, I receive the call from a number I don't recognize. Typically, I would ignore it, but I felt compelled to answer. Hello? The person on the other line says. I was shocked, despite everything becoming clear. I easily recognized the voice. I called 911 on my wife, written by Slim Moses. My wife came home last night after a three-day holiday in Thailand with her best friend. She came home with no luggage and wearing the exact same clothes as when she first left. The second I opened the door, she looked at me and smiled, asking if she could come in. I slammed the door in her face and ran into the bathroom and locked it. But I called 911. My wife's plane crashed in 2018. My husband hasn't spoken to me for days. Written by Luminous Taijin. He sat still at the end of the table. His droopy eyes, rent with dark circles, reflected the dim lights of the dingy dining room. Another felt gig, no doubt. My friends had warned me about marrying him. Jason was a struggling artist, you see. Don't settle for that man, they said. You'll be broke your whole life. Yet, when he got down on one knee and proposed with a sincere eyes, I vowed that I would be by his side through thick and thin. When Jason finally reached his dreams, I would be there to celebrate with him. We always prayed for a breakthrough, but failure after failure happened and five years together brought us to this dilapidated apartment. My head throbbed. Jason's tiredness must be rubbing off on me. Honey, I whispered reassuringly. I'll always be with you no matter what, and I'm sure that everything will get better soon. He didn't reply, dull eyes staring into nothing. I made something special. I said with a small smile, beef casserole in hand. Go ahead and take a bite. I promise it's good. He remained listless, not even lifting his fork. Minutes passed like that, and I felt a tear roll down my cheek as I rubbed my temple. Jason used to love my food. Even when I burnt everything, when I just started learning how to cook, He'd beam at me and joke that he didn't deserve to eat food made by an angel. Love, faith, and hope had kept us together, but perhaps Jason had gotten tired. 
Would he give up on his dreams? Would he stop smiling forever? Would he leave me? My head felt like it was splitting open now. I hurriedly tried to make my way to the bathroom, but tripped on the glass wine bottles littering the floor. Jason must have heard the commotion, but he never came. And as I laid there helplessly, writhing and clutching my head, I wondered when everything started spiraling. Was it when he started drinking? Or was it when I told him that I wanted to work and support us? Maybe it was when I told him that I was pregnant. A baby? He had shouted as he held me by the hair after punching me in the gut. In this fucking mess? I sobbed for what felt like hours until the pain subsided again into a dull throb. I got up shakily and walked to the mirror and a monster stared back at me. Disgusting black ooze trickled down from a grotesque hole at the side of its face. It was pungent, smelling of death. Brain matter, dark and rotten, slipped through, making sickening squelches as it fell to the ground. My mind went as I made my way back. Jason had not taken a single bite of the beef casserole now rotten as if it had been left out for several days. It wasn't tiredness or sadness in his eyes, I realized. It was guilt. Guilt from killing me. My mom is cruel to my cat. Written by Willis Augusto About a month ago, one of my close friends, a 16-year-old female, passed away in a car accident. I was devastated and fell into a pretty dark depression. My dad was super understanding and suggested that I get a pet to help me cope with the loss. My mom has always been kind of a hard ass. She doesn't like to show emotion and hates when other people do. She told me to get over it and life happens. She also hates animals in the house. I started going to therapy and once my therapist suggested getting an animal, my dad finally just did it against my mom's wishes. He brought me home a little white kitten that I named Vlad. My mom hated him. From the minute he entered the house, she complained that he smelled bad, that he ate too much, that his litter box made her nauseous. But he was really good for me, and my dad was adamant about me keeping him. Last week, Vlad threw up on the carpet after eating wet food too fast. When I got home, my mom was holding him under the water in the sink with a washcloth over his face, literally waterboarding my cat for his upset tummy. 
I ran over and snatched him out of her hands, and he was terrified, weak, and spitting up water. I was furious. I called her a terrible person and took Vlad to the vet to make sure that he was okay. My dad met me at the vet and stayed with me until we could take him home. My dad was furious with my mom too. I heard them fighting that night as I held Vlad in my arms. I heard my mom's screams and then the bathtub running then her muffled screams, then her gurgling, gasping, choking, and then the faucet turned off, and I heard nothing. I think Vlad is safe now, thanks to my amazing dad. My sister was just eight when she died. Written by Purple Funk 36. I wasn't there at the time. On a spring morning, she walked to the park and sat on the swings. Witnesses recalled that she calmly poured gasoline over herself and then lit a match. The flames engulfed her body. Supposedly, she didn't make a sound. The charred fragments of her body floated up, desperate to embrace the shimmering light of the sun. Our parents were heartbroken at the news. Their beloved daughter. They both killed themselves within a year. And that left only me. Years passed and a young family moved into our house. I longed desperately to meet them. Over time, they started to notice strange details during the day. Any object placed in direct sunlight would fade to black within hours. The windows began to slowly crack under the sunlight, like they were straining against the beams. Smoke would begin to rise from the floorboards as the sun entered. The family could find no explanation to this strange phenomena, despite their best efforts. But over time, they took to closing the curtains through the day, keeping the house dark. The darkness took a toll. The family grew uneasy, restless. Eventually, they stopped leaving the house altogether. The windows were boarded up. Eerie whispering around the house could be heard on a bright day, and the faint tapping of fingers against the windows. It was one spring morning when the father finally broke. He burst into the living room and tore down the dusty curtains, tearing the timber panels off, desperate to embrace the morning sun. The sunlight poured in, filling the void. The father smiled tiredly and then stopped. The family watched in horror as his skin started to sizzle. Bubbles rippled under his skin before his body erupted in a fury of flames. The curtains around the house burst into flames. 
the light screamed to enter. The family ran in horror, leaving their charred father. The mother ushered the children down into the basement, and she locked the door, securing it in place. The children sat whimpering in the corner. They watched as the dancing ray of light trickled through the crack under the door. It disappeared, leaving them in darkness. Darkness had always been what I was used to. My sister had always been the favorite, you see. I was shunned to the side, yet she always loved me. She would whisper to me under the door in the basement, the basement I was kept in. I was six when I died, right here. I was troubled. My mother said that as she placed a pillow over my head. My father held me tight. My sister killed herself the next day, set fire to herself on the swings. Her soul set free to the sunshine, the light that I never tasted. This is what she wanted. She wanted me to have company, to see the light dark corner of that basement, I opened my eyes and smiled. A creepy individual was lurking about my house. He almost got me too. Written by a trans boy. A few days back, I had left my abode in search of enjoyment in the surrounding wilderness. I do this quite often, running off for hours at a time to climb trees and imitate bird calls. This brought me quite a lot of enjoyment, so I'd usually stay out until sunset. One evening, the sun had begun to set, and the darkness crept through the already dark canopy. I was sitting in a tree overlooking a nearby field, imitating the call of a bluebird to advance our discussion. It was more like a heated debate this time because other bluebirds joined in. The sun was setting in the horizon black van with tinted windows moved into the corner of my eye. I turned to look at it. The van parked barely a foot into the field, and the driver opened the door, departing from his vehicle. He walked leisurely about the field, a red piece of paper in his hand. As he walked, there are points in time where his vision was directed at me. I found this unsettling, but believed he couldn't see me. Eventually it got to a point where it became all too creepy, and I'd begun shifting myself into a smaller position. He had continued his walking before leaving the field in his black van. I was unsettled, so I decided to head home. The sun had almost set, 
the darkness was becoming thicker. I climbed down from my perch and jogged home. I had a feeling that I should take one of the less obvious routes, so that is what I had done. I'd soon switched to walking because exercising in a chest binder is painful. I soon saw the man, about 30 paces away from me. He was slinking towards the tree I had been hiding in only a few minutes before. I crouched even lower hoping to evade his vision. He climbed up the back of the tree, almost noiselessly, and realized that I wasn't there. He knew that no one could have left a long stretch of wilderness in three minutes, so he began searching for me. My ankle gave out, and I rustled some leaves turned his head in my direction and came that way. I'd have been a goner if it wasn't for the deer that came running through the foliage. He took off after it. The plants were so tall that you'd mistake a teenager wearing a brown sweater for a deer pretty easily. I used this opportunity to run for the house, which I was quite glad for my silent steps or Elsie might have followed me home. As soon as I entered the house, I locked myself inside. My ribs and ankle hurt like heck after that ordeal, but that didn't stop me. I ran upstairs and locked myself in my prepared bunker beneath my bed. I couldn't do anything except eat chips because even in a time of crisis, Doritos still sound good. I'd never expected for anything like this to happen, but it still scars my memory to this day. Some people out there are just quite awful, and I never hoped to meet another for a long time. If it wasn't for that deer, I'd most likely would have been kidnapped or sold. I believe he was trying to get me to believe he was just going for a walk, lure me into the false belief of safety, and then try to nag me from behind. I'm glad I got away safely, and I've never entered the woods again without a weapon. Side note, I believe this is connected to the footprints my family and I found in the snow this winter. They matched a man's shoe size and tracked about our entire lawn. There were also car tracks in the ice, and we hadn't left the house at all as it was snowing. They were both fresh prints. Deer will always be our friends. Stay safe, everyone.